exciting news, the Planet Peterson store on Shopify is now open. Click the top link in the description to go to Shopify where you can check out shirts, stickers, digital artwork, and more. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode. Sorry it's been so long, I was really busy getting ready for my wedding, and then right after my wedding I got COVID, so my voice has not been fit to record a podcast. It's still not great, but it's been a month, and I want to get the ball rolling again. So I got about five facts that aren't true to go over for this episode, all on the human body. Let's get started. There are taste regions on the tongue. We've all seen the map that shows where each kind of taste is detected on the tongue. In reality, there's no such thing as a salty taste region of the tongue or any specific taste. All taste buds can taste the same things. The taste sensations humans have are sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and umami, also called savory. Suppose you try to swallow an aspirin tablet without water. In that case, you've probably experienced the disgusting bitterness that gets stuck in the back of your mouth. This is typically where bitter taste buds are said to be, but you only taste it there because the partially dissolved tablet gets spread with your saliva throughout the throat because of the mechanical way we swallow things. I did read a study that found a difference in the intensity of the bitter and umami taste in the front versus the back of the tongue, but no evidence that one region can only taste one thing. Taste buds come in different forms, but can all taste the same chemicals. There are four types of taste buds. They're called fungiform, filiform, foliate, and circumvallate. Each taste bud is located in different parts of the tongue. The tip and sides of the tongue are heavily concentrated with taste buds. This makes sense because the tip of the tongue allows us to explore a substance before chewing. Once mastication, which is the fancy word for chewing, begins, the side of the tongue is where the saliva collects and where detecting taste is most opportune. The roof of the tongue is mostly used to manipulate and divide food as we chew, so the sense of taste is weak there. You can test this by dipping a cotton swab in sugar or salt and placing it in different regions of your tongue and noticing how intense the taste sensation is. Some chemicals cannot be detected by our bodies. For example, some humans cannot taste phenylthiocarbamide, or PTC. It's an extremely bitter but non-toxic chemical. When I teach genetics, I give all my students a strip of paper with PTC on it, and we all taste it to see who the lucky ones who don't have this trait are. The ability to detect bitterness is important because bitterness is a good indicator of toxicity in plants which were an important staple of our diet in recent evolutionary history and still are today. Birds cannot taste capsaicin, the oily compound that makes chili peppers red hot. Get it? There is likely a strong evolutionary reason for this. Before the Columbian exchange, chili peppers only grew in South America. Birds would eat the peppers and spread their seeds through excrement. This symbiotic relationship benefited both parties. The heat from the peppers ensured that birds were the only seed spreaders, and other animals avoided them. Bird poop is an excellent fertilizer, so that's beneficial for the peppers. Birds don't have an external urethra, anus, or vagina. Instead, birds have a one-stop shop for all those needs, 
called a cloaca. The digestive, reproductive, and urinary tracts combine to form the cloaca. Bird excrement is, essentially, urine and feces combined because of the cloaca. The white portion is the urine, and the dark portion is the feces. We've all seen bird poop. We know what it looks like. Urine contains compounds rich in nitrogen, the essential building block that is normally the most scarce. Bird excrement, sometimes called guano, was so valuable at the end of the late 1800s due to rapid population growth that entire guano islands off the coast of South America were mined for the stuff. Those who worked on these islands were enslaved people, subject to horrific conditions. Guano mining eventually became obsolete after Fritz Haber and Karl Bosch invented a method for creating synthetic nitrogen fertilizers. Fritz Haber is one of the most important people who ever lived and was a ruthless bastard. He invented mustard gas and oversaw its repeated use in World War I, but he's also the reason one in every five people are alive today. He also helped invent a product called Zyklon, which was a pesticide. Haber was German and had nothing personally to do with Nazis. He was part Jewish and actually despised the Nazi party. But the Nazis modified his invention and created Zyklon B, which was used to gas countless people in concentration camps. A molecule must be dissolved in water for bodies to taste or smell. Our taste buds do this thanks to saliva, and our olfactory nerves do this thanks to mucus. If you have a dry mouth or dry nose, your senses of taste and smell will be dulled. I don't know about you, but plugging my nose has no effect on diluting the taste of anything. Bonus fact that isn't true, you might have heard scientists found taste buds in the testes and anus. This is not true. The protein that serves as the chemoreceptor in taste buds is found throughout the body, including the testes and anus, but it's not connected to the nervous system, and there are no taste buds in those locations. Thank goodness. Eating before swimming causes cramps. No research indicates swimming less than an hour after eating is dangerous or increases your odds of getting cramps. The logic of the claim is relatively good. The thought goes that after a meal, the blood vessels in your gut dilate to extract nutrients and provide oxygen to organs that are now working overtime. This spreads your resources thin and provides less electrolytes to your skeletal muscles. However, as I said, there's no data that supports this claim. I looked up drowning statistics to add a little more to this untrue fact. There's a bias most of us have called the availability heuristic. The availability heuristic is the tendency to overestimate the significance of something easy to recall. I want you to guess how the number of global deaths from terrorism compares to drowning. Terrorism is not on the news as much as it was during the Obama and Trump presidencies. However, it still makes up a significant portion of it, and people have deep concerns that it poses an existential threat. The worst year on record for terrorism that I found was 2014, with 44,576 deaths. That's well over five times lower than the 236,000 people who drown yearly. In the United States, drowning is the number one cause of death for children ages 1 to 4, and the second leading cause of death for children ages 5 to 14 
after vehicle accidents. You'd think drowning would be equally dangerous in the first year of life, but it only accounts for around 34 deaths a year. Congenital disabilities are by far the number one cause of death in the first year of life, with 4,043 of them, followed by premature births at 3,141, son and infant death syndrome at 1,389, suffocation at 1,024, motor vehicle accidents at 72, and then finally drowning with only 34. The first year of life is treacherous. If you look at an actuarial table, your odds of death don't overtake the odds in your first year of life until you are 50 years old for men and 55 for women. What is the safest age of your life? For boys, it is eight years old. For girls, it is nine. Hair and nails continue to grow after death. Hair and nails may appear to grow longer after death, but they stop growing immediately after you die. Hair and nails are both made of the protein keratin and require cells to build them. Nails grow at a rate of about three and a half millimeters a month, and hair grows about four times faster. The cells that make hair and nails would have to stay alive for weeks to make a noticeable change in appearance. Bonus fact that isn't true, rhinoceros horn is also made of keratin, meaning it's not ivory, which strictly comes from tusks or teeth. As I said earlier, there can be the appearance of growth, which is likely where this claim originated. When we die, our body desiccates, meaning to lose moisture. This causes our bodies to shrink dramatically because we are around 60% water by weight. The dry nails remain the same size as the fingers shrink around our bones, but it makes the nails look relatively larger. As our faces begin to sink in, faces that were clean shaven at the time of death may begin to look like you haven't shaved in several days as the hair begins to poke out. Shaving makes hair grow back twice as thick. It's not clear whether this means the hair is twice as thick or if the density of the hair follicles will be twice as numerous. Either way, this is a ridiculous claim to make. If the thickness doubles every time you shave, that's an increase by a factor of 1024 on your 10th shave. By your 100th shave, your hair would be 2.54 times 10 to the 30th power thicker. If you started with just one hair, that one hair would now be 4.56 times 10 to the 26th power kilometers thick, which is 26.5 billion light years. Two more shaves, and the hair would be larger than the observable universe. The origin of this claim is not hard to figure out. Shaved hair has nice flat ends instead of tapered ends that have been worn down. Shaved hair is also shorter and therefore stiffer. Newly shaved hair is also often darker and easier to see. All of these factors will add to the feeling of thick hair, but the thickness of the hair has stayed the same. You need eight glasses of water a day. The origin of this claim is likely a quote from 1945 from the Nutrition Board of the National Research Council, which says, a suitable allowance of water for adults is two and a half liters daily in most instances. An ordinary standard for diverse persons in one millimeter for each calorie of food. Most of this quantity is contained in prepared foods. That last sentence is crucial. Plants and animals are mostly water. 
A proper diet of unprocessed foods should be enough to supply you with most of the water you need. Again, which is why the statement says most of this quantity is contained in prepared foods. The only part of the quote that gets passed around, though, is the quantity of water you need, which is falsely assumed to mean this is how much fluids we need to intake. Two and a half liters is about 84 and a half fluid ounces, but the more modern version of this untrue fact supports eight eight ounce glasses of water, so 64 ounces or 1.9 liters. I shouldn't need to tell you that the American diet sucks. Many of the foods we eat are so dry and or heavily processed that foods only account for 20 to 30% of the water you need in the typical Western diet. Yet, this would still require a regular person to only drink 45 fluid ounces, 1.33 liters of water. But more importantly, no data says any of these numbers are a proper recommendation for the typical person. You should drink water when you are thirsty. Thirst is an evolutionary mechanism ingrained in us for hundreds of millions of years. Trust your instincts on this one. In 2007, a Sacramento radio station held a contest called Hold Your Wee for a Wee. Contestants were forced to drink water, and the last one to relieve themselves won a Nintendo Wii. One of the contestants tragically died hours after the competition. The cause? Water toxicity. Our bodies absorb consumed water into the bloodstream. This causes our blood to become more dilute. Nature abhors unbalanced concentrations. Electrolytes are pulled from our relatively more concentrated cells, and abnormally high levels of electrolytes are lost as the kidneys filter out our blood. Without electrolytes, our muscles and nervous system cannot function. The symptoms of water toxicity include severe headaches, disorientation, nausea, and vomiting. It's extremely rare that a person succumbs to water toxicity. A typical person would need to consume over 10 liters of water to be at risk. There is a condition, although rare, called diabetes insipidus that causes the body to produce up to 20 times the amount of urine a typical person does. A person with diabetes insipidus may need to ingest 10 liters of water a day. You may think we only lose water by sweating and urinating, but we lose a decent amount of water by breathing. Fully inflate a balloon, let the air out, and repeat that process a few times. You'll be surprised by how much water there is inside the balloon. We lose anywhere from 7 milliliters an hour of water at rest to 70 milliliters an hour while exercising. This water loss is why you lose a tiny bit of weight when you are asleep and therefore weigh less when you wake up than when you went to bed. Ever wonder why elephant seals have such enormous noses? The answer that seems most obvious is sexual dimorphism. Sexual dimorphism is when males and females of the same species exhibit different physical characteristics. The differences may be subtle, or they may be extreme. Male and female bald eagles, for example, look the same and are only slightly different in size. Male peafowls, peacocks, look nothing like female peafowls, or peahens, but are approximately the same size. Male elephant seals are many times larger than females and look very different, as the females do not have the large noses. It is thought that the nose also amplifies calls that the males make as well. 
but that may just be a side effect of its main function. Male elephant seals ferociously fight for the right to mate. Unlike peacocks, who compete to be chosen by the females, the male elephant seals compete to assume dominance over the females. Elephant seal necks bear the scars of other males who bite and rip out whatever they can. This competition can last for one to three months, during which the male abstains completely from food or water. They're enormous, so starving isn't an issue, but how do they not die of dehydration? If you look at a photo of an elephant seal's skull and peer down the nasal cavity, you're struck by the ornate labyrinth of the bony matrix. The matrix is covered in flesh that forms the nasal passages, thin and permeable mucous membrane of the nasal passage. As the elephant seal exhales, this intricate mucous membrane captures the moisture in their breath. So the most important function of the enlarged nose is to allow males to stay on the battlefield long enough not to die. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hopefully we'll have more for you next week. 